You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Well, good morning, church. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? What are the rest of you doing here? Come on, we can do better than that. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, it's been a while since I've been here. Uh, Pastor Immel was still the pastor the last time I had the uh, privilege of uh, addressing you folks. And uh, I know things change, and uh, uh, particularly in dress. And I wasn't sure exactly how to dress. And they said, well, how do you feel comfortable? But it reminds me of the uh, church I, pa- I uh, actually uh, taught at a few years ago. They had three morning services. So I asked him, well, what's your dress code? He said, well, he said, the first service, wear a shirt and tie. Okay. He said, the second service, take off the tie. Third service, take off the coat. (laughs) I'm just glad they didn't have a fourth service. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to be here with you folks this morning, and we're going to be talking at Apologetics uh, 101. And in case you're not familiar with that term apologetics, I usually start by telling you what it's not. Apologetics is not the practice or the art of apologizing for your faith. It's not, gee, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, please forgive me for that. Actually, it comes from a Greek word, apologia. Well, what does that mean? It means a defense, a defense of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And, you know, uh, we're told over and over in Scripture to be ready to give an answer. For example, the pastor quoted 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter admonishes the church to be ready always to give an answer. Greek word is apologia. Be ready to give an answer to whom? To anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear or gentleness and respect. In other words, the bondservant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but he must be able to give an answer. Well, how are you going to give an answer if you don't know both what you believe and why you believe it? couple other scriptures uh, that, to tell us to be ready to give the, uh, an answer. And Paul tells us in Jude, um, or Jude tells us, I should say, there's only one uh, chapter, verse 3, and it says um, that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, we don't need extra biblical revelation. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, tonight. Uh, and then also Philippians 1, 7, Paul said, I am set for a defense of the faith. Now, at Watchman Fellowship, we are a national apologetics and discernment ministry, and one of the ways that we help to arm the church, so to speak, to be not only be able to defend the faith, but be able to recognize some of these false teachings, false groups, false organizations, and so forth that are out there. One of the ways we do it is through our free profile service. Now, when you come back tonight, We will give you a free profile. In fact, you can stop back at the table. If you can't come tonight, you're just not able to come like you have a doctor's excuse (laughs) signed by your parents. Please stop by and uh, pick up one of our free profiles. A profile is a four-page report. Uh, This one is on the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society that's out on your table. And uh, the one that's on the screen is uh, on psychics. How many remember the psychics? There used to be a bunch of them on television a few years back. There was one called Miss Cleo, the psychic from Jamaica. Remember her? Turned out she wasn't a psychic from Jamaica. She was an actress from East L.A. And uh, so she got booted off television. 1,500 psychics in her organization out of work, and not one of them even saw it coming. 
Oh, stop and think about it. Do you think they would be working for minimum wage as a psychic if they really knew the future? Come on, they'd be living on Paradise Island someplace. They'd be so wealthy. But these profiles uh, will help you to recognize. In fact, uh, inside the profile, there's a, a little envelope. There's also a sign-up at the end of the uh, handout that you got uh, that will enable you, enable you to receive free, everybody say free, free. bi-monthly, that's every other month, profiles on subjects like the occult, New Age, cults, um, discernment issues facing the church. We've been doing this now for 20 years. And over that 20, year time, 20 years of time, we've uh, put out something like 110 profiles. And we have a picture, I think, of the profile notebook. Uh, I brought with me four of them, lack of faith. I brought four, and we sold all four of them this morning at the morning service. So... Um, but what we'll do, and I'll, I, have a, I have an idea, and I'll tell you that in just a moment, what we're going to do. Uh, also, we have put together a package. Now, that, that notebook, by the way, is normally sells for $45, okay? Uh, it's a one-time gift, and then you'll keep getting them till Jesus comes every other month, okay? And um, we, as I say, we've been doing it for 20 years, so, you know, we're not going to go out of business anytime soon. But they're free, the profiles, the ones that come out every month. But if you want all the 110 uh, they are available for a gift of $45, and as I say, every year we send you a new table of contents that will reflect the new ones you've added added to the notebook over the year. And then we've put together a package of a number of books and uh, teachings like on Jehovah's Witnesses and a CD to go with it. The, uh, the manual is a documentation package that you can share with your Jehovah's Witness uh, friends or those who come to your door, uh, things that they've probably never seen because the Watchtower doesn't encourage them to read old material because it, it exposes. The best way to witness to these people, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses especially, is by using their old material against them. And so uh, that package is a one-time gift of $49, and Kim will be out. Where's Kim? Kim, is she here? Do I see? She's uh, There she is in, in the back. Okay, she'll, she'll be there at the table to help you, and I'll try to get back there as soon as I can as well. And uh, we do take uh, cash checks or plastic uh, for your convenience. Um, and so we hope that many of you will uh, invest not only to help cult-proof yourself, but to help cult-proof your family as well. One of the books, by the way, um, is a book that we put together at Watchman Fellowship just uh, about a year or so ago, and it has a listing of over 1,700 Organiza- religious organizations. Now, they're not all cults, but many of them are. So, it, but there's only like a paragraph on each group, not as nearly as in-depth as you'll get in the profile notebook, the four pages worth. So we hope that you will stop by the table and uh, either pick up a free profile or uh, drop in your uh, uh, little sheet there on the bottom of your handout. All right, the reason we put this presentation together a couple of years ago. I'm a member over at Monroeville Assembly, by the way, and uh, they have a pretty large youth group, and they asked me to come to address the youth group. They have about 100 kids in it. And so um, I put together this presentation because I was aware of the fact that over 70% of our young people are leaving the church by the end of their college years. 70%. That's a tremendous figure. And what happens is they get away to college unless it's a Christian college, they'll get away to one of these secular colleges. And what, what does the professor do? Well, one of the first things he does is try to undermine their faith. By the way, there's a movie out. Has anybody seen the movie God's Not Dead? 
Yeah, tremendous movie, tremendous movie. I highly recommend it. It showed up in the Delmont area. My wife and I were able to go and see it, and we, we loved it. And uh, it tells the story of a young man who, a uh, similar circumstance, goes to college and is challenged by his professor to prove that God uh, is real or is not dead. And so it's a great movie. If you have a chance, uh, by all means, go and see it. But anyways, we, we put this thing together because we feel that young people need to be able to defend their faith. But they told me, they said, hey, the whole church needs to hear this. So we've been giving it in churches all over the country. But we start off, you know, in most, most Christian, or I'd say in the United States, most people, most people still believe in God. But what God? What kind of a God? Today, you have to find out what kind of a God they actually believe in. And basically, there are four, we call them worldviews, four worldviews that everyone will fall into regardless of where you live, regardless of what you believe or disbelieve about God, you will fall into one of these four major categories. And the first one is called monotheism. Mono means what? One. So a monotheist believes in just one true God. Any other God to the monotheist is a false God. Now we'll get into, into uh, what the Christian believes about, about this uh, in just a second. But there are other categories, worldviews, and the second worldview I want to touch on is called atheism. Whenever you see A before a word, it means no or none. So the atheist believes in no God. God is not necessary. By the way, uh, they always tell us that education without God ends up in in an educated barbarian. But uh, the next worldview that I want to touch on is called polytheism. Poly means many. And a polytheist believes in many gods. Now, the Apostle Paul ran into this problem when he visited uh, Athens and Mars Hill and other places like Ephesus. In fact, in Ephesus, he nearly created a riot when he spoke out against Diana and Ephesians. I think we have a slide if you want to go to the next. Uh, did we? Uh, yeah, Greek mythology. Here we go. And they had, uh, again, many gods. And... Um, Paul nearly created a riot when he spoke out against Diana of the Ephesians. Remember that? Now, what was it that caused him problems? Was it because he was preaching that Jesus is God? Not necessarily. There was always room for one more God in Ephesus. What got him into trouble was he was preaching Jesus is the only true God and all your gods are pagan gods. Uh, Let's go on to Egypt. Remember the Egyptians? They had many gods. They had Ray and Isis and Osiris. So there was a multitude of gods there. Now here even today in the United States, there's a religion that is passed off as Christian that is a polytheistic religion. Anybody know what that religion is? Mormonism. Mormonism is a polytheistic religion. And by the way, one of the leading evangelists of Mormonism today is a man by the name of Glenn Beck who has a radio and television. Now, he sounds Christian. He uses Christian terminology. He even spoke at Liberty University recently. And, of course, he taught about Joseph Smith, and he, he lifted him up. See, here's the problem. Mormons use Christian terminology, but they redefine everything. I mean, they have the right vocabulary. They've just got the wrong dictionary. But they, to listen to them, you would think that they were Christian. But you must ask them, what do you believe when you say you believe in the Trinity? Are they Trinitarians? No. They believe in three separate gods. And we'll get into that a little bit more tonight. All right, so that's the third uh, world. Now, the fourth world religion is called pantheism. 
Pan means all or everything, so the pantheist believes that everything is God. All is God. I'm a part of God. You're a part of God. The trees are a part of God. These chairs are a part of God. And all you need is within yourself. They say you're to look within yourself to realize your own divinity. You've simply forgotten it because of reincarnation. I always ask, well, what good is it going to do if I remember I'm God and then I have to die and come back in another life and forget it all over again? You know? So... Rationalism is not real big to the pantheism. By the way, pantheism is the basis of the so-called New Age movement. And by the way, there's nothing new about the New Age. It's the old occultism done up in Western packaging using Western terminology to make it sound more palatable to the Western mind. And we have a whole presentation on that on the uh, New Age movement. All right, so those are the four worldviews, and everyone will fall into one of those uh, categories. And you must determine uh, what kind of a god that person believes in. Now, I want to go on to the next point. Our Christians, uh, Christians are monotheists. We believe in a triune God. Within the nature of the one eternal God, there are three separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-redemptive. Not three gods, not a freakish-looking three-headed God, one God in three persons. Now, people say, well, how do you, how do you get your uh, head around that? Well, I'm not saying I can fully understand it. But the Bible teaches it. If the Bible says there's only one God and calls the Father God, the Son God, and the Holy Spirit God, it doesn't take a theologian or a logician to come up with this concept of the Trinity, or the word I prefer, the triunity, the triunity of God. So Christians are Trinitarians, excuse me. Um, now, are there monotheists that do not believe in the Trinity? Yes. Judaism believes in one God. They're monotheists, but they, and that's the religion from which uh, Christianity sprung. And then the third world religion is called Islam. Islam. I think we should be here. There we go. Uh, and one who believes in Islam is referred to as a Muslim. Now, we'll be talking about this, and we will go into much detail on Wednesday night. Time does not permit it this morning, except to say, many people say, well, we all worship the same God, just under different names. No, we do not. The God of Islam, Allah, is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a, tri- a Trinitarian God, triune God. The God of uh, the Quran, uh, Allah, is a Unitarian God. The God of the Bible loves the Jew, his chosen people, the apple of his eye. The God of the, the Quran, Allah, hates the Jew and wants them all dead. So this is not the same God. But as they say, we'll get into this much more on Wednesday night. Um, do all who profess to be Christians believe that Jesus is God's second person of the Trinity? No. There are many groups out there that claim to be Christian. You probably had them knocking on your door. How many have had the Jehovah's Witnesses come? What do they believe? Well, they believe that Jehovah God was all alone in eternity past. His first creative act was to create Jesus, who was really Michael the archangel, came to earth as a man, not as God, died on a pole or a torture stake, not on a cross. God dissolved his body into gas. That's how they explain the empty tomb. He ascended invisibly into heaven and returned to earth invisibly in 1914 and set up his headquarters in Brooklyn, New York. I kid you not, that's the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the uh, Mormons is one God among a pantheon of gods. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer who became the devil, and all male Mormons are striving to become gods themselves. Sorry to have to inform you ladies here this morning, you could not become a god in Mormon theology unless 
You were sealed in a Mormon temple ceremony to a male Mormon. In fact, you ladies wouldn't even get out of the grave on the morning of the resurrection unless a male Mormon removed the veil from your face and called you forth from the grave. Brigham Young, who was the second uh, president and false prophet of the Mormon church, used to tell the story. I don't know if he was sincere, but he used to say on resurrection morning, he would walk down through the graveyard and say, up Mary, uh, up Martha, up Sarah, uh, Jane, you stay there because you gave me a hard time in life. And, of course, the story circulating among the Mormons in those days was that everyone married young. Some of you are a little slow. (laughs) He had 49 wives, you know, purportedly. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's other groups out there that will pay homage to Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. For example, the Jesus of the witches is a super witch. Uh, The Jesus of the spiritists is an advanced medium in the sixth sphere of the astral projection, wherever that is. The Jesus of uh, the Unitarians is an extraordinarily good man whose mistaken followers deified. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. I'm sorry. The Jesus, now, no, these next three groups don't, don't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God or that he was God the Son, but uh, they have a different Jesus also. The Baha'is... Uh, Jesus is one of nine great manifestations of the primal point of divinity. Now, when you figure that one out, please let me know. I'm trying to figure that one out for years. The Jesus of the Hindus is a great teacher, a guru, an avatar. The Jesus of Islam, again, is just a prophet, lower than Muhammad, although as we'll get into uh, on Wednesday night, uh, even Jesus, Isa in the uh, Quran, has more honorific titles than Muhammad, so I don't know how he can be less than Muhammad, but they believe that he did not die on a cross. Uh, he did not rise from the dead. He is not the Son of God, just a prophet of God. We'll get into all that, as I say, on Wednesday night. So you have a lot of different groups out there claiming to believe in Jesus, but what Jesus? What God and what Jesus? The Jesus of the cults and the world religions is not the Jesus of the Bible. He's the one that Paul warns us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. Remember what Paul said, I'm afraid for you. Now, Paul wasn't afraid of much of anything, was he? I mean, he'd been beaten, scourged, shipwrecked, thrown in jail. He even said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. So he wasn't even afraid of death, but there was one thing apparently that really troubled him. Spiritual deception. Spiritual deception. See, the devil doesn't mind if we go to church He doesn't mind if we belong to a religion, just as long as we don't know Jesus and what he did for us personally on the cross and what he did when he rose from the dead. So Paul says, watch out for those preaching another Jesus, a different spirit and a different gospel. There's going to be out there coming to your door. You might meet them in the marketplace, and they've all got their ideas about Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of Scripture. All right, that's, the next question is this. Is Jesus God, and did he ever claim to be God? The answer is yes to both. Now, a lot of people, and I'm sure they're well-intentioned, they say or they think that we must prove the Bible first before we can present Jesus. That's not true. You present Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work on that person, and when a Jesus comes into a person's heart, they, and takes away the blinders, they will automatically know the Bible's true. You know, I was reared in a mainline denomination. I went to church. I was baptized. I joined church and shook the pastor's hand, and I was no more saved than a rock out in the parking lot. 
You see, again, Satan doesn't mind if we're religious. He doesn't mind if we uh, do different religious things just so we don't know Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. All right. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled 30 of them on the one day that he was crucified. Now, that alone should give emphasis as to why you should believe the Bible. You know, I've studied many religions. I've read the Quran. I've, I've looked at uh, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Book of Mormon, the Upanishads. Not a single one of them contains fulfilled prophecy or has prophecy at all. Only the Word of God. Why? Because it wasn't written by man like these other books. It was written by the Holy Spirit, moved on holy men. Uh, uh, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is God-breathed, this book. All right, let's take a look at some of those prophecies. In Daniel, in the Old Testament, a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, it tells us that the Son of Man would come with clouds of heaven. Jesus fulfills that in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, when he stood before the high priest who asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, two Greek words, Ego emi, I am. And when, boy, when he said that, they, 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 they just tore off their, uh, their garments. And so they, were just, they just couldn't believe he was claiming to be God. And Jesus said, yes, and you will see me coming in clouds of heaven. The second coming. Hallelujah. Here's a few more scriptures proving the divinity of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 24, one of my very favorite scriptures. It basically tells us that unless you believe, or if you believe not, that I am, there's those two Greek words, ego and me, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, what's he talking about there? That's a reference back to the Old Testament, Exodus 3.14, where God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, and he told him to go into Egypt to lead the Hebrew children out of captivity. And Moses said, well, if they ask me who sent me, who shall I tell them? And God said, I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent me unto you. Now, Jesus quotes that here in John. John chapter 8 and says, if you don't believe that, that I'm the God of the Old Testament, you're going to die in your sins. For where I'm going, you cannot come. Beautiful scriptures in John. How about John 8, 58 in his discourse with the Pharisees? Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they're thinking, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. Now we know you got a demon. You, you claim you've seen Abraham? And Jesus looked at him and he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. And when he said that, they reached for the rocks. Why? Because they understood exactly what the cults today will never admit. Oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. He didn't. How do you explain these uh, verses? How do you explain in John 13, 19 when he says, I'm going to tell you before it even happens, so that when it happens, you will know that I am. Over and over and over again, I am. And Jesus applies it to himself. Here's another Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 9, 6. They shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity. Now, Jesus is not the Father, but as the creator of the universe and time, he is the Father of Eternity. So, you know, there's a group out there called the United Pentecostal Church to Jesus only. They deny the Trinity and they say Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Well, if he is, he's schizophrenic. He prays to himself, you know. Uh, he throws his, he must be a ventriloquist. He throws his voice out of heaven. 
and so forth. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is the Son, second person of the triune God. Here's a few more scriptures. John 20, 28, again, one of my favorites. This is where uh, Thomas... Remember when Thomas appeared, to the, appeared with the disciples after, the, uh, after Jesus' resurrection? And they said, we've seen Jesus. And they said, uh-huh. He said, Thomas said, no, no. Unless I put my finger in his hands, unless I put my hands in his side, I'm not going to believe it. Well, eight days later, Thomas was there, and Jesus this time appears to him. And he says, Thomas, come here. Put your fingers into my hands. Put your hands into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Believe what? <laughs> that I'm God. You know, the Bible doesn't say he actually did those things. I believe he was down on his knees. And then those wonderful words of faith when he called Jesus, my Lord, my Yahweh, my Jehovah, and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, as a Jew, Thomas would never have said that about another man unless he really was who he claimed to be. And Jesus, as a great teacher, a rabbi, he never would have, he would have said, no, Thomas, don't call me God. I'm just a man. But no, he said, blessed are you because you've seen and believed. Blessed are not who have not seen and yet believed. Believe what? That he's God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, here's a few more. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word of the Logos was with God, literally face-to-face in the Greek. Here's another scripture. You can't be face-to-face with yourself. You've got to be face-to-face with another person. He was with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In John 1, 14, the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Folks, you've got to have the right Jesus. You can have the right theology, but if you've got the wrong Jesus, you're lost for all eternity. You've got to have the right Jesus, the one who is God, come in the flesh, the one who's uh, all efficacious to cleanse us from sin. Uh, John 15, 18 calls Jesus equal with God. Esos, exact equality in the Greek. Now remember in Isaiah 42, 8 in the Old Testament, God, Jehovah God says, Yahweh God says, I won't share my glory with anybody. And yet we're told that Jesus is equal with God. We're told to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Equal with God. Uh, John, uh, 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 John 5, 24, it tells us that we are to honor Jesus, the Son, even as we honor the Father. In other words, to the very same degree that you honor God the Father, that same degree of glory goes to Jesus Christ, the Son. Hallelujah. Um, John seventeen five, Jesus said, Father, glorify me now with the glory that I had, past tense, before the world was. Now, why did he say that? Because when Jesus came down to earth, it says he was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He was still God, but he had a human nature. So when he walked the earth, when he was hungry, he was really hungry. When he was thirsty, he was really thirsty. When somebody touched him in the crowd, he said, who touched me? Not you touched me. You see, Jesus is God, but he's also man. He is both. He is the God Man. Jesus is both God and man in completeness. And if you if you uh, if you destroy this, you destroy the incarnation. You yes, Jesus had qualities of a human being, and that's what the cults do. They'll take all these scriptures dealing with the humanity of Christ and ignore all the scriptures dealing with His divinity. They'll say, "Well, how could Jesus be God?" He said, "My Father is greater than I." Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, "My Father is better than I." 
yes, the Father was in a greater office when Jesus was on earth because he was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But Jesus, if he would have said, my Father is better than I, then they would have a case. But he said, my Father is greater. Just as you have positional relationships here on the earth where the, the wife is subject to the husband. Jesus was subject to the Father. Does that mean that the wife is lower or uh, not as good as the husband? No, it just means that, biblically speaking, that, that's the positional relationship. Jesus, while he walked the face of the earth, was subject to the Father, okay? But that didn't make him less than God. He, he still maintained, and by the way, if you want to get into that in more detail, go to Philippians chapter 2. It's called the kenosis passage in the Greek. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And it explains to you how Jesus, uh, yes, he was made lower than the angels, but he still had that same uh, quality of divinity. Here's some other scriptures. Colossians 2.9, which calls Jesus our great God and Savior. Matthew 1.23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. The L on the name of, uh, in the end of Emmanuel is the singular form of God in the Hebrew. The plural is Elohim. With us is El. With us is God. Uh, Acts 7.59, here's another good one you can share with your Jehovah's Witness friend. Stephen calling upon who? God said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So Stephen, while he was being stoned, called on God. And who did he call? Jesus. Jesus is God. There's three things right there in that one scripture Jehovah's Witnesses all deny. Number one, that Jesus is God. Number two, that you can pray directly to Jesus. You know, even some Christians got this confused. They say, oh, well, I don't pray to Jesus. I pray to God in Jesus' name. Well, you can do that, yes. But just like Stephen and Paul, you can pray directly to Jesus. And then the third thing is when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Paul said, absent the body present with the Lord. You don't go into soul sleep like Seventh-day Adventists you know, or Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you, know, you, you go directly uh, out of the body present with the Lord, Paul said. And there's a, several scriptures that, that uh, tell us about that. All right. The next point, did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, the whole Christian faith rides on the fact that Jesus did rise bodily, corporally from the grave. In fact, Paul said, if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain and you're still in your sins. Did Paul believe in a bodily resurrection? Yes. In 1 Corinthians, by the way, this is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I, Paul said, I preach, I preach unto you the gospel. And what is it? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. You know, when Jehovah's Witnesses tell me that Jesus Christ rose as a spirit creature, I always look at them and say, well, wait a minute, spirits don't die in the first place. How would you raise a spirit from the dead if they don't die in the first place? Now, I always look at them and say, you know, you made the same mistake the disciples made. They look at you, what? The disciples made it? What mistake was that? Yeah, remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples in, in Luke? Take them to Luke chapter 27, um, verses 34 to, uh, what is it, 34 to 39, or 37 to 39. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, it said they were terrified. They were frightened, and suppose they had seen what? A spirit, a ghost. And Paul said, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts, uh, Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my side, my feet. It is I myself. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. 
Jesus wasn't raised as a spirit. He was raised in a body. And most of all, I believe, it was a body because he said it would be in John 2, 19. Jesus said, destroy this temple, referring to the temple of his body. The Greek word is soma. And in three days, I will raise that soma up. Glory to God. Every time you had a resurrection in Scripture, it always required a physical body. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that wasn't a spirit. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said, it's a good thing he didn't say come forth. If he just said come forth, everybody in that tomb would have come out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came walking out of that tomb. When, uh, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, that wasn't a spirit. That was a physical body. When uh, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead, that wasn't a spirit. That was a physical body. The Bible knows nothing about resurrected ghosts. Always required a physical body. Um, there are five facts conceded as true by virtually every historian. Number one, Jesus was executed by uh, crucifixion. By the way, there are more manuscripts for the death and the resurrection of Christ than any ten works of classic antiquity combined. And yet nobody doubts them. Nobody doubts all these uh, works of you know, the masters and Plato and Aristotle and these guys. But yet they want to put doubt on the Bible, and as again, we have more manuscripts than any ten of them, rest of them combined. Um, disciples believe that Jesus had, uh, uh, believed that they had encountered the risen Lord. That's why all of them, except John, died martyrs' deaths. You don't, you don't die, you're not crucified, boiled in oil, thrown to the lions to perpetuate a myth or a lie. They had encountered the living Christ. They knew it was real. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus into the great apostle Paul. Remember when Stephen was being stoned to death? Paul was there taking part. In fact, that was his job. He was sent out to crucify, to kill, uh, to do whatever he could to stop this new movement of Christianity. And then guess what happened to Paul? He encountered the living Lord on the road to Damascus. Uh, uh, Historians tell us, uh, tradition tells us that he was literally knocked off his horse. And then led blind into Damascus where he became the great apostle Paul and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The conversion of James, the skeptic of the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother. Um, he didn't believe in Jesus when, when, when he was growing up. But after he encountered the risen Lord, he believed. And then finally, the empty tomb. 75% of historians, even liberals, will accept this as true. You know, now, I, I've heard stories, well, you know, the, uh, the Roman soldiers fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. Do you know what the penalty for a Roman soldier falling asleep on watch, you know what his penalty was? Death. You tell me that they all fell asleep. No, I, it's no way. And then, of course, secular sources recording the death of Jesus by crucifixion. Flavius Josephus, the great uh, Hebrew or Jewish historian, Atacitus, Thalius, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Lucian, Galen, Celsus, all wrote about, referred to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Even the Jewish Talmud talks about Jesus being killed by hanging on a cross. Now, the Talmud belittles Jesus, of course, but, you know, you don't badmouth something that never existed or never happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was crucified. The crucifixion of Jesus is an undisputable fact. Now, here's the thing that I've added into this. 
people ask me why I put it in, because I'm getting sick to death of hearing even Christian pastors being asked and afraid to come out with the, with the truth of what the Bible teaches. Uh, Joel Osteen was on Larry King here a while back, and Larry King asked him, well, what about these, all these Hindus? You mean they have to believe in Jesus? Well, he said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do. I, maybe they have another way. I don't know. Come on. All you have to say is, look, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. That's all you have to tell them. Because if you look at the Scripture, there's no way out. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said it. John 10, 1, he said he's the door. He that enters not by the door, but tries to enter some other way, comes as a thief and a robber. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. Now, there's a lot of doors out there. Have you entered in through the right door? Oh, there's all kinds of doors out there. There's the door of religion. You know, oh, come and join the church and you'll have a good time or, you know, uh, be baptized or whatever. That's not the true door. Jesus is the door. Um, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Now, if you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Jesus. I'm just a messenger. He said it, not me, but I believe it. Why? Because he proved it with his life, his miracles, his death, and his resurrection. Now, only Christianity, I've studied a lot of religions. There's thousands of them out there, and I haven't studied all of them, but I've studied many of them. And basically, I found that no other religion has a Savior who paid the penalty for our sins. All other religions are man's attempt to reach God through his own works. To be pleasing to God by doing, doing, do, 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 and you never know if you've done enough. That's a dead-end road, folks. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 puts it this way. For by grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's redemption at Christ's expense, a good acronym. He did it all. We did nothing. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't even deserve to keep it. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. How many know you can't earn a gift? It is a gift of God and not of works. Not of works. Now, works will come as a result of saving faith, but you can't get the cart before the horse. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. The works should follow. And if you don't have works in your life, you should question whether or not you've truly accepted the Lord and whether you've made him the Lord of your life. Your life should show works, not to get saved, but because you are saved. I like the way Titus puts it in Titus 3.5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved it. Grace, aren't you glad for grace and mercy? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit more tonight. Um, Essentially, there are two religions in the world. I've studied a lot of them, but they all boil down to this. Uh, It's either the religion of I. I lead a good life. I go to church. I follow the Ten Commandments. I pray. I obey the golden rule. I love my neighbor. I do the best I can. I don't do this bad thing or that thing. This is called autosoterism or self-salvation. 
This is where I become my own Savior. Glory be to me. And I'm in competition with the Lord Jesus Christ, who claims to be the Savior of the world. Or the other way is the religion of the cross. Now, as I said, there may be as many as 30,000 religions in the world, but you take the ribbons and the packaging off the box, you'll either find the I or the cross. The I or the cross. Everyone is either going to be saving himself or he's going to trust in Christ and him alone. I would encourage you this morning to get out of the Savior business. Declare spiritual bankruptcy and trust Christ for your salvation. He will freely give you the gift of eternal life and come into your heart, put a smile on your face, enable you to trust in him, repent of your sins, change your life, give you new meaning, direction, and power to live a godly life and eventually take you to paradise to be with him forever. Have you accepted that free gift? Or have you gone through one of those other doors that I did when I was a young man? I've had people say, well, Bob, I joined a church. I was baptized. I went through catechism. I'm here today to tell you, you can be baptized, catechized, circumcised, and simonized and still be on your way to hell. It's not what you did, it's what he did. And that's the only way you're going to get there is by trusting in his works and not your own, which every other world religion does. Actually, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, but for lack of a better term, we refer to it as religion. But Christianity is the only way, folks. That's it. That's it. Now... Have you done that? I don't know. I can't save anybody. And that's not my job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of soon coming judgment. But I'm going to ask you this morning to, uh, to bow your heads with me right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I don't care if you've done this a thousand times. It doesn't hurt to say this prayer again. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you all to say this with me if you really believe in your heart. Just just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But Lord Jesus, right now I'm trusting you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sins. Make me a new creature in you. And I promise to follow you and to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, not because of what Bob Anderson says, but because of what the Word of God says. And, there, you know, there's one thing God can't do. Well, there's several things, but there's one thing definitely he can't do. God cannot lie. God says, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, not in your head, in your heart, in your spirit, believe in your heart that God has raised Christ from the dead, you'll be saved. For the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But it's very important that you tell somebody. We, we prayed this prayer this morning, and I hope there's some in here, the second service, that will also say, yeah, Bob, I didn't know for sure when I came in here, but I'm not going to take a chance of being wrong for all eternity. I'm going to trust in Jesus today for my eternal salvation. If you did that, Welcome to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. You can be assured, not because of what I said, but because of what the word God says. Your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.